pleasure to be with you today. Pastor Josh is, has his uh, small group uh, on a retreat this weekend, so that's where he's at. Um, I'm going to look at it, several passages. The, uh, the theme uh, for today is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And that's the theme that we're going to be kind of expounding on. We have a number of passages to go to. Um, so let's just pray and get started. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this time, and I pray that you would speak for me. As always, Father, I don't. I need your wisdom, your will, and your way. Father, you've gathered your folks here today to hear from you. So we ask you to pour out your presence through your word and the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I told a few people that because ever since I stepped aside as the senior guy, I've had a number of people say to me, oh, I don't have to worry about what I'm saying now because you're not preaching. Well, today you should be worried. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, I've been, it, it's a great joy to speak to you. I don't know about you, but I often find myself um, asking the same questions that uh, a lot of people ask and a lot of people have asked throughout history. Is, does God love me? Where's God's love at? Am I experiencing it? Do I know it? What's going on? Karl Barth, a famous um, Swedish theologian from the last century, on his trip to America, was asked by a student, what's the greatest single thing that he has learned from his study of the Scripture? And after Barth thought a few moments, the written reply that he has been said was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's really it, isn't it? That we know that Jesus loves us unconditionally, completely. We often question this. I, I dare say that some of us probably questioned that this week. If the election didn't go the way you thought, you might have questioned it. You know, if trouble's in the family, you might be questioning it. Trouble's at home, trouble's at work, wherever trouble might be, you just might be questioning it health issues, whatever. The idea that, does God love me? Am I being loved? And I'm here today, hopefully, to convey to you at least from one thought that absolutely God loves you. And you need to remember that. You need to hold on to it. Matter of fact, according to Corinthians, love never fails. Tongues will cease and prophecies will give away. And knowledge will fade, but love never fails. And God is an all-consuming, all-present God who never fails. As a matter of fact, the, the, the theme verse is, as I said, I've got a bunch of places, because God is love. God is love. It's an attribute of who He is. It's a part of His nature. It's a part of what He is. Love. And if, and if I am not experiencing God's love, then I have to question what's happening to me. Where am I at? What's going on in my life? Because God hasn't moved. We have all know that. We know he's on the throne, hasn't left the throne, hasn't abdicated it, didn't give it up, is not going to give it up. Nobody's going to take it, not going to overthrow it, not going to tear down the flag, not going to do it, not going to vote him out, nothing. He's, he's, he's there. 
And because of that, he loves. We know that he loves us. But the question that does God love us is not a new one. Down through the ages, men have asked this. I could imagine being crucified, I said that this morning too, being burned at the stake might question, cause you to question God's love. Being run out of your country might question, cause you to question God's love. Being brought down with a terrible sickness might cause you to question God's love. But it's not a new question. Some 2,400 years ago, there was a group of people who also questioned God's love. And God answers their question in a very unique way. A way that seems almost paradoxical to what love is. But he uses it to rightly explain that he is love and that he loves them. Turn over to Malachi chapter 1. It's a familiar passage in the first few verses that people love to point at. Especially in reform circles, we like to talk about this in context of election and those kind of things. And I certainly wouldn't disagree with any of that thought. But it's the paradoxical answer that he gives here as to why God is saying, or how God says, I love you. I love you. And I've always loved you. It's wonderful to know that God has always loved you. Because, man, down through our own lifetimes, <laughs> we've had people tell us they love us only to disappear, to go away, to say, I loved you today, but tomorrow I don't love you, bye. Maybe find out I never did love. It's not so with God. And unlike loved ones who were with us for a long time, uh, marriages that over many years and then one passes, God doesn't leave. But anybody can question this. Let's look at this here in Malachi chapter 1, picking up in verse 2. The question is, God says to them, and by the way, for context now, just a little bit, those of us who went, were here when we went through Nehemiah, we understand that Nehemiah had, was a response to God's covenant of grace with his people, and he brought them back into Jerusalem, and he, through Ezra, rebuilt the temple, and through Nehemiah, rebuilt the wall, and together they were, had been brought back from captivity, and the place was being established again, and in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Nehemiah, from chapter 13, Nehemiah was still dealing with priesthood issues. The priest had defiled the priesthood. During, he was de still dealing with marriage issues. They had defiled the marriage. In the book of Ezra, he even tells the children of Israel, take those foreign wives and divorce them and go back to the wives of Israel. It had been defiled. There was a failure to support God's ministries in the terms of tithing. The priests were having to work nine to five so that, and when they should have been in the temple because the people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. That's what was going on in Nehemiah's day. That's continuing right here in Malachi's day. And then they wonder why God is not giving them what they think they should have and do. And God, then they ask God, do you love me? Ever had your kids ask you that? Do you love me? See, God was loving his children while he was sending them to their room with their bottoms spanked. I love you. Get in your room. Come out when I tell you. 70 years, then I'll talk to you about it. God could do that. I, I could only get four or five hours, maybe a day. <laughs> they ask, do you love us? Have I loved you, saith the Lord? Speaking rhetorically, because God doesn't have to answer to anybody. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Where have you loved us, Lord? Have you not seen the captivity we're in, Lord?
Have you not seen where we are? Do you not know the struggles that are going on here in the days of Malachi? Do you see what's happened to us? Our place is still not the preeminent, prominent place that it was originally. Oh yes, the temple's been put back and the wall's built up a little bit, but it's not near what it was. It's just not there. The, the priesthood is messed up. The, 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 the people are messed up. Everything's st- I thought we were your favorite people. I thought we were the chosen bunch. I thought you had a covenant agreement with Abraham, our father, and that we did what he did. I thought we were all in this. We ask God that a lot, don't we? I thought, God. Because I can't understand my situation right now. I can't understand why I'm struggling. I can't understand what's going on, why it seems that you don't love me. And we start to say this, and and they are dealing with this, and they say... Where have you loved us? And God responds with this. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. (sighs) Now right away we get all upset because God hates somebody. Right off the bat, that can't be. Now, there's a few things here. First of all, I think you would have to be a hermeneutical, homilytical, exegetical magician to make love mean it's about the same thing as hate. You'd really have to twist this around to make love and hate be comparably speaking the same thing. Because they're not. The word here that's hate is used for hate is includes the thought of a hot displeasure. A, a contained heat that's waiting to explode. One of the words that can ultimately gets translated here is the word thumos, which is where we get the word thum, thermos that holds things hot until they're ready to be used. Now, this gets twisted around or used sometimes in this way, that God loved less, comparatively speaking, meaning he didn't quite love them the same way he loved Jacob, but he he still kind of loved them. It's not what it's saying. Nor is it a less than love. God is saying to them, I loved you, Jacob. And you know how I loved you? Look at Esau. Consider Esau's plight for a moment. The two men who were so close together that they lived in the same womb for nine months. You can't get much tighter than that. You can't get much closer to that. They were like that. And yet, God says he chose one over the other just so the purpose of election might stand. He said, I chose Jacob over Esau for that reason. And I loved him. And how do you know that I loved him? Not by anything Jacob did, because remember what's Jacob's name? Deceiver. He deceived his own brother out of his birthright. Now, I would argue that Esau was easy pickings because all he wanted was that soup. And he traded the whole thing for a bowl of soup. But nonetheless, he tricked them. Tricked his father, tricked his brother, and got that. So he was a deceiver. There's nothing about e- Jacob that makes Jacob pleasant to be loved. That's the point here. Nothing about Jacob in any way makes him stand out so, well, God's got to love him. How many people today are presented with this concept that God's got to love me? Don't he know what he's got here? I mean, I, I'm... Da-da! No. That's the point. There's nothing about you and I that makes us lovable. Nothing. 
There's no inherent good. There's no inherent niceness. There's no inherent intelligence or wisdom or anything that makes us lovable. Or more importantly, would cause God to say, I love you. It's solely and arbitrarily because God has said, I am going to love you. That's what he's saying here. But he tells Jacob, I loved you. How do you know that I loved you? Look at Esau. Look at Esau. So what does he tell Esau? I hated Esau, and I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. I, everything that Esau attempts to do, I'm against. Everything that he tries to raise up, I tear down, is what the scripture says. He said, I laid his mountains and his heritage. Important points here. Mountains mean eternity. Heritage means his, his life. So we have everything that he holds to and everything he hopes to see happen. God says, I tear that down. No matter what he tries to build up, I'm, I'm taking it away. Now we can ask God about how do you love us. But I want you to think for a moment about your own life. Is that what's going on? Is God tearing down your mountain? Is he tearing down your heritage? Or is he holding it up? What's going on? What's he doing in your life right now to make us go, I don't know whether God loves me? I would argue that your mountains are not being torn down and your heritage is not being torn up. That God, in fact, is in keeping those things because those things are in Christ. And that's why they're being kept. See, we, we, what we do is what we always do. Even love has to be about me. That's what I argue the difference between being in love and loving. Because when you're in love, it's all about how it makes me feel, how it makes me think, and how it makes me act. When I'm in love, she makes me think this. She makes me feel this. She makes me act this way. There was a song about that. Make you walk real silly like a... Anyway. Long neck goose or something like that. I don't know. But when you love... It's how I think toward others. It's how I feel toward others. It's how I act toward others. And God is saying here, consider Esau. I laid his mountains in his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Is another word here might be used as jackal. Point is, he's left it for the ravenous beast of the wilderness. He has left him and his people for that purpose. And you say, well, that's terrible. God, how could God do that? Why does God do that? Well, first of all, he's God, okay? So let's give God a little uh, glory that's due him being God. And second of all, let's don't stop there and simply say, oh, that lets me out then. I can't be. There's no way. It's not what he told Cain. He told Cain, said, if you do good, won't you be accepted? And what's good? There's only one good, Jesus Christ, and there's only one thing you can do that's good is call on him. And have him work in your life. And that's what transforms you from Esau to Jacob. Because that's where we want to be. Because God loves Jacob. How do I know that? Because he made a promise to him from the beginning. He told, he told Eve that in her seed there would be a nation. Genesis 3.15. And that that leader would bruise the head of the wicked one. We know that to be true back when we go and we look forward in the scripture and we see when David kills Goliath. And I love this passage because he takes, he cuts off his head and the scripture says he took his head and carried it to Jerusalem. And there it is. I'm one of those who hold to the fact that the place of the skull is where David buried the skull 
of Goliath. So that when Christ Jesus is crucified on the place of the skull, and that cross is driven down into the head of the wicked one. That's what took place on the cross. That's what took place. God loves you. He has always loved you. Why? Because he has always loved his son. And in the son, you and I have life. That's where we need to be. But it goes further than this. He said, not only do that, he said, we, whereas Edom, we are in promise, but we will return and build the desolate places. And now isn't that the response of humanity? God's done a thing, like wipe out the world, so what are we going to do? Let's build a tower to God. Right? He floods the earth, wipes out everybody, and then not a few pages later, we're going to build a temple, we're going to build a tower to God. We're going to keep rebuilding. God says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to take it out, I'm going to try to rebuild. See, that's what we all do in the flesh. We all attempt to rebuild this thing in our image, in our likeness. And God continuously says, I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to continue to tear that down. That's what's going to happen. As long as you and I continue to build in our flesh, in our likeness, for ourselves, we can expect God to be against it. We can expect God to be against. Not a question, not hopeful. Maybe he'll take this one. No, I'm telling you now, Jacob I loved, Esau I've hated. And he says, I'm going to lay his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness. He can build up, but I will tear down. And as long as we continue to build up in us, we can expect God to tear it down. We had an election this week. I hope your guy won. But as long as we continue to build in ourselves, the way every other election has been, in my memory, we can expect God to tear down. And I don't have to go over the things that are being promoted. I'm not going to debate with anybody on any of that. I just know that when we try to build up the things of God, we can expect God to tear those things down. But he says, I loved you. I've loved you from the beginning. He goes on to say, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness. And the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. Make no mistake. God is angry with the wicked every day. He's against them every day. He's going to consume them on the day of his return. It hasn't changed. God says, I hate it. Esau. And I'm not trying to pick on Esau. I'm telling you, as long as you walk in the flesh, and you walk in the world, and you walk in the things of this life, and you do not walk after the things of God, you can expect God to be against you. That's what it is. And God uses the word hate. Should I be opposed to the things God opposed to? Should I dislike the things God dislikes? Should I be against the things God's against? Or should I go, well, come on, God, I'm for that. And God says, I'm against you. It's really just that simple. I'm against you, Robin, if you're going to be for the things of this world. If you're going to be for the things I'm against. If you like what I dislike. If you love what I hate. And don't make, charge God with wrong here now by him saying, well, he hated Esau. Don't charge God with wrong. God's not wrong. God is right. He's holy. He's true. And what He's calling you and I to is to come to Him and be made alive. Come to Him and let... I shouldn't say it that way. And receive His love for you. 
quit being Esau and call on God to make you a Jacob. Or you can charge God with wrong. You're wrong, God. It's not fair. You, you hated somebody. It's not, I'm done. Okay, be done. Let me tell you the end of that scenario. You know where that ends up? One day, and I've preached this a million times, one day the sky is going to open up. And the whole world's going to see the sky open up. And it's going to shine from the east to the west. And you're going to see Jesus Christ arising on that horse. And all of the saints with him. And 10,000 on 10,000 of angels. And he's going to roll in. And he's going to consume merely by his presence, by the way, he don't even have to lift a finger. Just showing up is going to be sufficient. And that's something. Just show up. Hello. And his presence is going to consume all those who were against him. All those who he hates. I know it sounds harsh. Everybody's like, oh man, I'll be getting calls. This is on the internet. People will be calling me about it. There he goes again. I told you he was one of them. You're right, I am. I'm one of them. I'm one of them who by the mere grace of Jesus Christ, can say, God loves me. That's who I am. Not by anything I had to offer, but by the pure, unmitigated favor of God. Solely because He wanted to. Solely because He could. Solely because He does. And the only reason that it happened in my life, and the only reason it's happened in your life is because God, in His infinite mercy, came to you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and used the word quicken, which we know to be made alive, so that you would call on His name and receive repentance. To throw aside the Esau and take on the Jacob. That's what He's done. And he takes you out of that land that's called the border of wickedness and brings you into the land flowing with milk and honey and gives you himself. This is the God who loves you. The next time you start to question, does God love me, ask yourself this. Instead of me thinking about what God should be doing for me or what he's, I ought to get or What's happening? Why, why don't I get this? Ask yourself, why am I not getting constant evil? Why am I not getting constant destruction? Why am I not being tormented? Why am I not being persecuted? Why am I not being periled? Why am I living at all? Why? Because God loves you. And the God who loves you has this great and wonderful plan for you because it's His plan. That's what makes it great and wonderful. It's not great and wonderful because it might seem like a wonderful ride for you and me. It could be a hard road. I think all 12 disciples died martyrs' death. Except for John, all poor fellow, all he had to do was live uh, after being boiled in oil and living in solitude on the island of Patmos. But hey, he did live. See, the question's not just God love me. Why do you love me? I'll tell you why he loves you. Because he loves his son. And from the beginning, 
the triune God met together in eternity. And when that love comes together, it creates. That's what happens. Just like when a husband and, and, a, and a wife come together, having been blessed by the church and by their families to join in unity, and God favors it, they produce when love comes together. When love came together, they said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's give them dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and everything that creepeth upon the face of the earth. And God did. I think it's most interesting that when you read that verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, let us make man in our image, the other created order passage all list their creation after the earth or after the water. But you and I are specifically created after him. That's especially good news. Children of the Most High. And as I said earlier, we see it brought again to mind in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he says there would be a deliverer. We see it in David. We see it on and on and on. We see how God has loved us. We see how he has taken care of us. This expression of his love was manifest on the cross. You say, why is that so important? Here's why. Because of what took place in the garden, you and I were separated from the living God forever. We could never enter back into the presence of God. There was a flaming sword that turned to all sides that kept man from coming back into his presence. You and I could not go in. We were defiled. We were filthy. We were nasty. We were the object of hate in that sense. We were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, outside of the things of God. God brings himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, blameless, perfect, and becomes your propitiation, your payment to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you could come back into the presence of God. This is the expression of love. I remember with my children, the most common thing that I remember about, I don't remember many whippings. There was maybe one or two. I was a pretty easy dad. <laughs> But I, 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 uh, this was especially true with Josh, but all of them in, in general. It was, it was the return to fellowship that was so important. The fact that I had caught them doing something and I punished them, and that was fine, and they received that punishment and all that, but when it was when they were able to come back into fellowship, when we rejoined in fellowship, that's when their face lit up. That's when the joy returned. That's when they were excited again. That's when it was refreshed and renewed. And that's when I was a joy. And if that simple little act between a father and a son or a father and her daughters is, can bring that, what must it mean when God expresses His love towards you and bringing you back into fellowship with Him through His Son's blood? How much more then are you if God would do that? See, quit, don't focus on God hated Esau. Focus on God loves Jacob. And you're the Jacob here today. If, in fact, you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. If, in fact, you believe on the one who has died for you. If, in fact, you hold to the truth of Scripture that only Christ alone can save. How do you know? Well, I'll tell you. 
<laughs> I'm glad you asked. He revealed his love in his son. According to 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because he first loved us. So now we understand that if I have this ability to love others as I've been loved, that came from somewhere. Because remember, I'm an Esau. I started out that way. My nature is to hate. My nature is to do evil. My nature is to respond poorly, to go against the things of God. That's my nature. That's what I act toward. That's what I bent toward. If you don't believe me, read the news. I just saw... Never mind, it's just, you already know. Somebody died. Somebody was murdered. Somebody was drugged up. Somebody tried to kill somebody. Somebody succeeded in killing somebody. Somebody stole. Somebody ripped off. Somebody burnt down. Somebody destroyed. We know. Somebody got mad and shot somebody because they didn't like the way you talked to me in the Walmart line. Man, if we did that, there wouldn't be nobody in Chiefland. <laughs> I have the ability to love because he first loved me. And if that be the case, that means that something's gone on in my life. According to 1 John 4.15, it says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So then we make a direct connection between the idea of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and having God abide in me and dwell in me and me dwell in him. And together I experience and know the love of God because that's what the point of the message was. How do I know the love of God? I know the love of God because he has made it manifest to me in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit at the will of the Father. This is how I know. And if I am able to love him and love others, then I'm abiding in God. So the question becomes, am I, am I loving him and loving others? Then you'll, If you do, then you know you're abiding in him, and if I'm abiding in him, then I know God loves me. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I need to know every day. I need to know that every day, that God loves me. Because what, some days I wake up and I don't love me. Some days I'm unhappy with me. Some days it's not good. Some days I have to grab my throat and, and squeeze until I come under submission. And I, maybe I'm the only one. I'm glad for y'all. So do you abide in God today? According to 1 John 4.16 it says, So we have come to know and to believe that the, lo that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So there it is. God is love. If I don't know God's love today, I'm not experiencing God's love today. I do not have rest and hope in God's love today. There's two possibilities. The first one is the obvious one. You're not who you think you are. You need to come to Christ. You need to repent and believe the gospel. You need to turn from the Esau life to the Jacob life. You need to turn from the world to Christ. You need to call on him while he's near. You need to do that. The other possibility is that, yeah, I'm a believer, but you know what? Sometimes I, the world gets the best of me. And we'll give you three things that I think might help you. They help me, and if I would be a, stay in them things, they would help a lot. The first thing is obvious, isn't it? Prayer. When in doubt, pray. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. 
I take that to mean that everything that comes up in my life needs to be first thought of in prayer. Everything that, I'm, that, that approaches me, that comes before me, that I have to consider, I have to think about, anything I have to do, anywhere I need to go, anything at all, first and foremost, must be brought in prayer to the Father. Because I now have a boldness that I can approach the throne room of grace according to Hebrews and according to 1 John. And if I ask anything in his name, I know that he hears me. And if he hears me, I know I receive the things that I've asked. And because I'm in him, I'm only asking the things of God to begin with. Which means to love him and love others. That's the central truth. What's the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. And all this, the law and the prophets hang. That means all of it is wrapped in that. So if I'm asking those things, I have a confidence. I need to be praying. I dare say, (laughs) if all of us would pray as much and as often as we post things on Facebook, or whatever social media you use, or whatever social media you use, whoever you talk to, if you would spend as much time praying as you do that, I bet life would be better. Another thing you can do besides praying, and that's the obvious one, is the parchment. I use that because it's just three Ps and I wanted it to go together. That's the only reason I use parchment. The parchment is the scripture. Stay in the word of God. I, I talk to people all the time. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm going. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to go. I don't read the book. All right, see, the whole world's telling you to Google, right? Anytime you ask a question, Google it, right? Google it. We all think, right? We all use Google. Bible! I got a question about my life. Bible! I got a question about what God wants me to do tomorrow. Bible! I want to know how to deal with my lost loved one. Bible! I want to know how to talk to that person who's mad at me. Bible, I want to know how to deal with my husband. Bible, I want to know how to deal with my wife. Bible, how do I raise my children? Bible, how do I act to my parents? Bible, how do I deal with my pastor and my co-workers? Bible, how do I deal with my friends? Bible, how do I deal with corrupt politicians? Bible, how do I deal with good politicians? Bible, how do I deal with anything that I could possibly ask? Bible, anything you can think of. Bible! Bible! When I was a kid, you know, you'd go to ask the teacher, teacher, how do you spell this word? Look it up in the dictionary. I'd always say, well, if I knew how to spell it, I, could, I wouldn't have to do that. How am I going to look something up I don't know how to spell? And you say, well, I don't know where to go. Just open the book. Want to know about created order? The beginnings? How do I approach things from the beginning? Go to the first five books. I want to know about what God's law is? Go to the first five books. I want to see how he worked it out in God's people's lives. Let's go to Samuel. Let's go to Judges. Want to see what happens when I don't do what God says? Go to the prophets. I want some good news? Go to the Gospels. How do I live out the New Testament? Maybe I'll go to Acts. How do I want to know I have a, a, a solid theology? Maybe I'll read through Romans. How do I want to know what not to do? Go to Corinth and read about the Corinthians. I want to have strength? Philippians. I want to walk in liberty? Colossians. I want to know what to do when I'm being displaced? First and Second Peter. I want to know if God loves me? First and Second, Third John. I want to know how it turns out. Revelation. 
parchment. I watched a thing last night about the, 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 the authority of Scripture and the authenticity of the Word and whether we can trust it or not. And from a strictly apologetic standpoint, it absolutely can be trusted. It's, it, it, there's more evidence of the, of the truth of the Scripture than there is any other book of antiquity. We only have ten known copies of anything that actually confirms Julius Caesar it lived. We have 5,500 documents of the New Testament alone. But the fact is, you won't believe that apart from the Holy Spirit. You'll do like one of the great theologians or great minds of the day and simply say it's not true. God is not true because he did not preserve the word in the original manuscript so we can go and read it. He did far better than that. He imprinted it on the hearts of believers everywhere. That's why it says from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say we live by parchment. Just telling you, we live by faith. The scripture tells us about this faith. You want to know how to live, read the book. And the final thing, the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. I want to be in the presence of God. Maybe I should praise him. Make a connection here. God inhabits praise. I want to be around God. Maybe if I praise God, God will be here. Oh, what a concept. I'll try it. I'll start praising God in the midst of whatever's going on. Not for the terrible thing, but God who is in me and with me and for me through this terrible thing. I'm not thinking God because I got cancer. I'm thinking God, he's God. He's going to take me through cancer, whether it's re-recovered in the flesh or taking the glory. That's what I'm praising God about. I'm not praising God because my right guy got elected because if God don't turn his little head, he's going to do just like the rest of the little peoples up there and spend our money and break us. Sorry about that, Internet. Not really, I've just been nice. If I would pray, I'd stay in the parchments, and I would praise God. I would abide in Him. And if I abide in Him, I'll know His love. And I'll know that He has changed me from an Esau to a Jacob. And that's the good news here today. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what am I? What am I? Am I still walking as Esau did? Rejecting the birthright? Rejecting the things of God? Going against the Father? Denying the presence? Or am I like Jacob? Despite my deception, despite what I am, I'm going to call on the Savior to deliver me from this wretched body of death and make me alive. That's the question here today. I pray that if God's done anything in here today that He has changed you and made you alive and granted repentance. I pray that maybe He's encouraged you in some way. I was encouraged to be reminded again as I studied this week just to be, God loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Our Father and our God, we love you and we thank you for this time with your people and I pray that it has done what you had wanted. I thank you for the privilege of speaking again to this family. It's always been my honor and my privilege. And I pray, Father, we have illuminated what you wanted illuminated. I pray for those who are here, Father, that they have both been convicted and corrected according to your word. Hopefully encouraged to move forward 
Father, a fresh reminder that you love them because you gave your son to bring them to yourself. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give you the praise. And all of God's people say amen. Amen. Thank you.